Well, it's uh, time for the next big UN climate meeting, which is about to begin in uh, Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh, which is a Red Sea resort. The annual Conference of Parties meeting, or COP, the 27th now. Um, last time out in Glasgow, nations agreed that immediate action was needed to halt the worst-case scenario for rising global temperatures. Now, of course, the task ahead hasn't gotten any easier in the past year. A devastating heat wave in India, historic floods in Pakistan, heat waves in Europe, the Horn of Africa is in the grips of yet another debilitating drought. We saw destruction here with Hurricane Fiona. It goes on and on and on. Now we have the war in Ukraine uh, thrown into that already volatile mix and inflation. So, you know, people need energy. How are we going to how are we going to produce it? Uh, it's not going to produce itself. So and the transition that everyone talks about, it's not done, not nearly done. Uh, so emissions are probably going to go up again. Uh, and this also comes as nations struggle to cut their greenhouse gas emissions individually. And uh, one of the main agenda items is how do you help developing countries, as we mentioned in that list of countries that are paying a huge price with climate-fueled catastrophes, um, how do we help them? How do we help them pay for it? They, they weren't responsible for a lot of it, <laughs> they are, or any of it for that matter, uh, but they're suffering through the consequences of rising sea levels and so on. We've seen that in the Horn of Africa specifically, but also in other parts of the world. So that's all on the agenda. Of course, in the lead up to all this, there are always lots of attempts to try to raise awareness about these things. And this year perhaps has brought out what I would like to think of as maybe the dumbest. It certainly got a lot of attention, so maybe it worked in some senses. Um, there is a lot of stake. There is a lot at stake here. One can agree to that. But we've been seeing uh, climate activists trying to call their attention to this climate crisis this year ahead of this meeting in, in Egypt um, by attacking priceless pieces of art. So it started with Van Gogh's sunflowers that had tomato soup splashed on it at the National Gallery, Gallery in London. Um, and the line there from activists was, what's worth more art or life? I would suggest you probably don't have to make that choice just yet. Um, Monet was the target in Germany. Vermeer's Girl with a Pearl Earring was next. You get the point. It's been going on for some time. So I, I saw an article uh, in a magazine called The Atlantic, and uh, my next guest was quoted in it. And I thought he had a really interesting take on it, because not only is he an environmental scientist, he's also been the curator of a museum a science museum at that, but still a curator. So he has some ideas around this. And he also has a, a really good take on how we can improve science communication around climate change so that a lot of us could feel perhaps um, more encouraged rather than discouraged by the whole conversation, as often is the case. So joining me now from Minnesota is Jonathan Foley. He's an environmental scientist, author, and head of something called Project Drawdown. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me here today, Ben. Tell me a bit about about Project Drawdown because it is a it is a fascinating a fascinating initiative. Yeah, so Project Drawdown, uh, which you can find at drawdown.org if you'd like to come visit us. We're a nonprofit filled with scientists and kind of science communicators who are really trying to be the world's leading resource for climate solutions. Uh, we hear all the time about the climate problem and about how bad things are, uh, but we go the other direction and we basically look at what are the possible solutions, which ones are the most effective, what would they cost, and how can we deploy them now to really address the issues facing us today around climate change. And we've uh, been around for a few years and provide a lot of free uh, science and educational resources on our website. So hope your listeners check us out at drawdown.org. Yeah, it's always interesting too, because I think part of what... Um 
alienate some people about the climate conversation sometimes is the sort of doom and gloom of it, right? I mean, that, that you probably make a good point that sometimes people want to hear about solutions, not just problems. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how would you feel if you went to the doctor and the doctor just looked at you and said, oh, my God, dude, you're really sick. You're just yeah, gonna you're die. done. Yeah, I'm out of here and walks away. But that's what we're doing when we cover climate change. Unfortunately, uh, the media as a whole, as at least in the United States and Canada, it's about 99% coverage about the problem and about the doom and the, the impacts and all the terrible stuff. And that's all true. But only 1% of the coverage is devoted to solutions, which is also true. We're making tremendous progress on climate solutions. We're making huge headways, a lot of gains, a lot of momentum. And it's 99 to 1 in the coverage, but in the real world, it's kind of 50-50 of what we're learning. Uh, things yeah. are getting bad. And guess what? Our tools are getting better at the same time. And so I'd like to see a little bit more of a balanced conversation where we acknowledge the problem, of course, but we also feel a sense of agency about changing it because we do have that. We have the ability to solve this problem. It's in our hands. We simply have to act. Yeah, I, I guess part of the problem sometimes is a lot of the solutions are happening in and all around us, whether they be in industry or through science and so on. But the problems tend to come with a big splashy report from the, you know, from uh, from from you know the from the UN, for instance. So they make big headlines. Or they say sort of, you know, twenty fifty or we're done. Um, you know, it it is it yeah. is quite captivating. I think that's part of the problem when it comes to communicating the solutions is that um, they're happening all around us, and yet they're happening sort of bit by bit by bit. So it's hard to encapsulate all of them. Whereas the big doom and gloom report is easy to to is easy to to deliver a synopsis of. Well, it's a simpler message. You know, um, it's a lot easier to scream, we're all going to die and those guys are to blame for it, as opposed to the real world, which is like, well, things are actually gradually getting worse in the impacts of climate change, but our solutions are gradually getting better at the same time. It's nuanced. We're kind of in a race between some good things and some bad things. And stay tuned. That's far less of a splashy headline. It is. But that's the reality. Human history has always been full of a mixed bag of some good news and some bad news. Why is this time any different? It's not. And climate change is a mixture of good news and bad. But I don't know. I choose to spend my time on the good because I think, you know, if you water that part of the garden, it tends to grow better. So yeah, I want to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, speaking of spraying things, uh, one of the reasons that I first approached you is I'd seen you interviewed in The Atlantic in a really fascinating article about... Uh, mm about uh, climate activists attacking old works of art and <laughs> just you know we, we've yeah. seen this i mean it's been so high profile i mean in that sense it succeeded if it was about getting attention what was your take on it because i think a lot of people have been debating this one thinking wait a second like these are masterpieces don't be throwing soup at, at monet you know what i mean well yeah um let me first say you know like, i i definitely understand the urge for climate activism uh, I work in the climate uh, problem I have for 30 years. I've devoted my life to this kind of work. So I totally get the frustration, the anger, the need to uh, get more conversations and attention that climate activism can sometimes generate. Uh, but maybe uh, I'm one of the few climate scientists in the world who also happened to be the head of a museum for a while. It right. was a science museum, but we were charged with curating and preserving relics like, you know, dinosaur bones and things like this for future generations. We were entrusted with a, a, a you know, a gift to preserve for future generations, just like art museums do. And we take that role very seriously. I was really upset, actually, by these activists attacking art that was given to the world, not to a rich person, but to the world in a public museum for all of us and for all future generations, a priceless, cherished uh, artistic contribution to the world 
that needs to be preserved as well. So I find it weird that people who want to preserve the planet for future generations are attacking art that is supposed to be preserved for future generations. Now, yeah. now I've heard the you know the 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 excuses like oh, but they knew that it was covered in plexiglass, so it was okay. No, it's not. Talk to museum professionals. We will assure you that that's not okay. The glass in paintings is not designed to withstand a liquid attack. Um, those were designed to prevent UV light and dust to get on paintings. Maybe some vandalism, but oh my God, uh, this is really dangerous. And you know, what if the soup had seeped around the edge of the glass and came up the canvas or a watercolor or something like that? Very possible. So one of these days, one of these protesters is, will end up destroying a priceless work of art. And then how would they feel? They've gotten lucky so far that it hasn't damaged things. Thank God. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I understand their their uh, desire to get attention, and it certainly did. But some attention isn't good. I just really question this. Uh, I, you know, as somebody who feels like we had to preserve the best of our culture and the best of our planet for all of us today and in tomorrow. You also just jacked up the operating cost of every museum in the world. We're all now going to have huge increases in insurance policies for damage, for vandalism and theft that you just caused from your stunt. And you're also going to you know, quadruple probably the cost for security and preservation and curation of these kinds of uh, relics. And uh, these are nonprofits. These are not money-making industries. Museums are almost always going bankrupt. And what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to charge more or close down during certain days of the week, or fire their staff. And, you know, you didn't hit the oil billionaires with your protest. You hit the rest of us. And that's where I think this kind of protest, personally, I find it very misguided. I would rather, you want to throw soup at something, throw it in an oil company building or something. I mean, I, I'm not advocating that, but, you know, okay, no. that at least makes sense. But hitting the rest of us and our shared treasures of the world, uh, yeah. I just find that to be kind of really not very, not very sensible. No, the rest of us and the best of us, you know, there is something yeah. magical, magical about those masterpieces when you see them up close. Maybe it's because we see, see them in different settings so often, postcards, movies and so on. But when you stand in front of one of those paintings, it's 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 all it's awesome in the truest sense of the well, word. Well, if somebody wanted to, you know, if some very rich person who had a private art collection, you know, if, you know, or an artist, you know, if Banksy wants to burn a bunch of his uh, work in the protest of climate change, that it was his own work. That's one thing. But to go and attempt to vandalize art that belongs to the rest of us, you didn't ask our permission. You're attacking your fellow common citizens, you know, just everyday folks like you and me who, you know, believe in curating things for the future. And that's a shared treasure and one that is, you know, it is not without risk to throw soup at a painting, even if it's covered in a piece of glass. It isn't hermetically sealed. No, This could cause damage someday. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because clearly there's going to be a lot of demands here from uh, from countries that are suffering through the uh, a lot of the negative sides of uh, climate change. Not to focus on the negative, but on the you know the, the the results of climate change. Who didn't have much of a hand in creating it, and they're going to want to see some money here. Do you have any hope that we're going to see some solutions coming out of uh, COP27? COP meetings are, are, are you know. I... <laughs> Let me just say this. I, I've been I, to I, a cop meeting, so I, I know what you're. I know where you're about to go to on this. Yeah. Well, I've actually never been to one. I've right. decidedly not bothered because I don't think that's where the world changes. Is at a meeting where diplomats and business leaders and celebrities go to pose and talk about how they're going to do things. Some important work gets done there, but most of it happens outside of a cop meeting. 
So I don't know what's going to happen there, but it is a good time to focus the conversation, especially since it's going to be hosted in Africa, to be talking about the roles and responsibilities of rich countries versus low and middle income countries in the problem, but also in who's facing the impacts. Uh, let's face it, you know, it's rich countries like Canada, the United States, a lot of European countries and others that have largely caused the problems we're seeing today, but we're much more insulated from the impacts on the whole compared to people in very low income countries, people who live under a dollar a day, for example, people without regular access to food and water already. And then we throw you know, climate destabilization, more storms, more droughts, more floods, more disasters their way. You know, when people are on the edge, the last thing you want to do is start kicking them. But that's what we're doing with climate change. And so it's one of the most unfair kind of great injustices of human history. Uh, and that's just today. The other injustice, of course, is all the people we're compromising in the future by living, you know, kind of high in the hog today with fossil fuels. Uh, we're having a big party, but leaving a big mess for other people and other generations to clean up and um, have to deal with. That's incredibly unfair. And so one of the big conversations will be, do we pay for that? You know, how do we compensate or help um, in through development assistance, through technological you know, aid, other things, climate adaptation? How do we help people kind of compensate for what will happen in climate? Uh, very big, thorny, difficult, difficult issues. But the, the fundamental morality of the question is, is clear. You know, the science and the ethics are clear. It's the politics and the money <laughs> that are not so clear. And that's, that's yeah. where we're stuck. No one, no one really wants to pay that bill, right? I think that, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, especially these days, I mean, there's so many other concerns going on. It's funny, even thinking back to the, you know, the COP meetings that happened before the pandemic, thinking about how central um, climate change had become to the conversation. Then we lived through a pandemic. Now we're living through inflation. There's a war going on. You yeah. know, there's a lot of other issues out there that are competing for it for attention. How do you think, where do you think climate solutions, and to end on a positive note, uh, it feels like the war in Ukraine and the need to push uh, you know, for Europe to rethink the way it, it energizes itself, so to speak, has put some wind in the sails, pun intended, of, <laughs> of, of you know, climate solutions. Are you, do you see that from where you sit? Uh, absolutely. Um you know, I've actually worked on climate change issues for about 30 years, and I've never been more optimistic about climate change than I am today. I know that sounds weird because uh, most folks only see the negative news because that we have a bias in how we talk about climate that is, filters out the good news. But there is good news. Uh, the good news is that the technologies to address climate change are getting cheaper and better faster than anybody ever anticipated. Solar and wind are now cheaper than fossil fuels almost everywhere in the world. Uh, battery technology, LED lighting, heat pumps, electric vehicles are all now you know, very close to or soon will beat the competition in the market. We don't need politicians to have rules or laws to say you should drive electric cars. People want to because they're better and soon they're going to be cheaper and they're already cheaper to operate. Or having heat pumps instead of gas furnaces and things like this, or solar panels instead of burning natural gas and coal to power electricity. The solutions are here now, and they're better, and we can thank technology and markets for the most part in making that happen. Now we also have some government action that's beginning to step up in the United States where I live. took 30 years, but Congress finally did pass a meaningful climate bill, which will spend about $400 billion on climate work over the next decade. That's about a quarter of what the private sector is already spending in this country, uh, but it's a very welcome kind of addition because it's snowballing. 
the power of technology and markets to change the world once we kind of get to a threshold is really incredible. Also, the power of like activism and culture, people talking more about climate. I just want us to talk about a bit more about climate solutions and why they're good for us and how they help us with other things we care about, like standing up to Putin or um, making us healthier or you know addressing equity and justice concerns around the world. Climate solutions are solutions to many of our other problems, too. And so, um, yeah, the, the problems are getting bigger, but the solutions are getting bigger even faster. And that's maybe the bit of good news we can hold on to. And I will keep that uh, in mind as we cover climate on this show is uh, to focus a little bit more on the positive as well. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it.